where does the next um, start of the next cycle begin? Well, 2027 is the next macroeconomic business uh, and fiscal cycle. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today, we're going to dig into the 18-year property cycle. Yes, folks, it's time to have the 18-year conversation. We're going to dig into a cycle which is divisive. A lot of people love the cycle. Some people believe it's a bunch of malaki. The 18-year property cycle is something which I've been following for a long time and I want to share it with you. It's going to be a big episode. So uh, strap in. I tell you what though, sometimes the people who name my episodes are way off the mark, aren't they? This episode probably won't even be called the 18-year property cycle. It'll be called Mastering Something About Something. So a message to whoever names my podcast Call it what it is. Today's show, the 18-year property cycle. Hey, if it's your first time tuning into the show, welcome aboard. And of course, welcome back, all you crazy property investors. We're going to do it. We're going to have some fun. And as you may pick up on the microphone, I'm nasally. Yes, I have a man cold. Always debate doing podcasts with a man cold. Do people really want to listen to a nasal commentator on real estate? I don't think they do. I don't think you would listen to me if today's show was not the 18-year property cycle. So let's dig into it. Let's have the conversation. The 18-year property cycle, it's kind of not a hard and fast rule or timeline, but it is a good way to understand economics. And today we're going to dig into how it has unfolded in the past Potentially, does it signal something into the future or is it a whole bunch of poppycock? We'll have that conversation, that is for sure. So really the cycle, if you like, the 18-year property cycle was developed by an economist. His name was Fred Harrison and Fred basically studied the cycle of macroeconomics, uh, business and also the credit cycle dating back hundreds and hundreds of years. And his conclusion was roughly around every 18 years, we go from one cycle to the next. We leave a different cycle and find a new cycle, a new cost of money for things, a new uh, business environment, a new macroeconomic environment. So it's really, though it's called the 18-year property cycle, it really does pertain more so to the way credit relates to the world, the way the business cycle evolves over an 18-year period with new ideas, new innovations, and of course, macroeconomics. Also, the 18-year property cycle, if you like, is more about indexing growth rather than so much individual marketplaces. As we know, around Australia, there are different marketplaces that move at different speeds at different times. Uh, in Melbourne, for example, there's 
12 subcategories of markets uh, by location. Then you've got the uh, luxury market. You've got the entry-level market. You've got the apartment market, the housing market. So there's lots of different things that happen inside of real estate. Today, we're talking more at a macro level. So macro things obviously uh, create a level of growth but micro things determine the rate of growth. So if you buy in a good location, a good street, uh, that's a micro thing. A macro thing is what we're talking about today, which is the 18-year property cycle. And of course, again, it really does pertain to the credit cycle, the macroeconomic cycle and business cycle. Things like GDP, uh, consumer spending, incomes and saving indicators, uh, industry performance indicators inside a business, international trade, price inflation, fixed asset indicators, employment indicators, and government spending. So a whole bunch of stuff it pertains to. And really the idea of the cycle is that it means that there's uh, really eras we live through. So if we Think about 18 years, a lot happens in it. Uh, The cost of things change, new ideas spring to life. And really, if you like, it's an era of time. And so if you think about just over, you know, the last 18 years, what has happened, you know, we've invented the smartphone, we've invented chat GDP, we've in, you know, AI technology, like it's a cycle and really we are in an interesting point of the cycle and it does also relate to real estate. So basically the cycle, if you like, is an interesting concept. The 18-year property cycle basically divides the cycle into four uh, sections and it's really a long-term viewpoint of the marketplace. The number of sections the cycle is divided into is four, recovery, expansion, hyper supply, and a recessive period. And if you ever look at a graph of the 18-year property cycle, it's kind of divided into three parts, recovery, explosive phase, and recession phase. During the recession phase, you get the hyper-supply period of the marketplace. You'll note that with a 18-year property cycle, there are mid-cycle dips. In other words, what we often think is a recessive period actually isn't. It's actually what is often referred to as a mid-cycle dip. Really, when we study the 18-year property cycle, the point of it is to understand that each new 18-year cycle starts with a higher baseline than the last one. So the long-term trend of real estate in this psycho, macroeconomic psycho, cycle, yeah, psycho, cycle, is always up. So real estate goes up even though it will go down but it goes up more than it goes down and it's a key concept of understanding a cycle. Uh, Why does this always happen? 
Well, inside an 18-year property cycle, there is the number of properties that can be produced in that cycle is limited. So as the economy grows, demand for property increases, economies grow year on year. And in most OECD countries, they have more years of growth than they do have years of recession. The idea of the 18-year property cycle is during an 18-year period, there will be four recessive years and 14 years of growth. So if we think about what that looks like, it could be four years in a row of recessive years, or it could be scattered through the 18-year cycle. So the idea of the 18-year property cycle linking to macroeconomics is really the amount of stock is limited in a cycle due to fiscal reasons. You just simply, there's just not the ability to produce it. And the other key fundamental is the number of properties in key locations where people want to live is also limited. So because you have a growing economy and because you have more growth years, because macroeconomics is always looking for growth, the system's kind of rigged that there always will be property growth because there's always going to be economic growth for a country more so than recession. And as such, you get this compounding effect of real estate going up and up and up. And of course, uh, if you apply the logic of a good location, which is limited by its supply, you obviously get an effect where things tend to increase in value. The concept of the 18-year property cycle also recognises the mid-cycle dip. In other words, that there is obviously four main phases, recovery, expansion, hyper-supply and recession. But there is also a fifth section, which is a mid-cycle dip. Something comes along and just slows things up for a little period of time. But the fundamentals behind what is happening is so strong that that passes and the cycle returns to its normal uh, period of time and flow. So let's go through uh, this cycle and the last cycle. And we're going to use the 18-year rule, the 18-year property cycle. Now, again, I hope you're enjoying the show and uh, my man flu is not annoying you. If it is, you've probably switched off by now because no one wants to listen to a little nasal uh, man speak on a podcast. So I apologize for having a little cold. I don't know where the cold came from. It's annoying me. Uh, who gets a cold in, uh, you know, this time of year? It's not, I'm, I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed at the man flu. But let's go through this cycle and the last cycle. Let's start with the last cycle. Okay. And we're going to use 18 years as a logic. So we go back and we can actually go back two cycles, if you like. In 1969 and 1970, at a global level, there was a recession. Um, and really, that, if you like, was the cycle before uh, the cycle I'm about to talk about. And it was a really mild recession. It wasn't, wasn't huge, but it does, uh, I guess, 
linked to the case that Fred has, which is things change over an 18-year period. So if we go to the next cycle, which was the 1989 to 2007 cycle that went for 18 years. And if anyone is old enough listening, you may remember basically in 1989 and the start of 1990, we had a recession. Paul Keating labeled it the recession we had to have. And obviously it was a recessive period of time during Australian economics. And what it led to was around three to four years worth of tougher times when it comes to, uh, when it came to particularly the macroeconomic cycle and the business cycle. So, for example, by the end of the recession, in the start of the recovery in 93-94, unemployment peaked here in Australia back then and at March 1994, at the start of recovery, the unemployment rate was 10.4%. So a lot higher than what it is today, that is for sure. Um, and, you know, recessions, if you like, and that particular recession is about resetting things. Recessions quite often mean the cost of things come down because demand is slowing down. And of course, this is why we often refer to a low in the point of economics as the start of the next cycle. So remember, uh, the cycle or that cycle, if you like, went from 1989 to 2007. If you do the maths, that's 18 years. During that period, we had a recovery phase and also we had an explosive phase of economics. And if you track that macroeconomic cycle, you will note that the first seven years of the cycle after the recession, which ended really in 93-94, really if you track property prices, between 93 and 94, all the way up to, say, 2000, 2001, you had a pretty good steady level of growth and recovery. But you did not have an explosive level of growth in the real estate marketplace. By understanding the 18-year property cycle, and if I could explain what the graph kind of looks like, and I'm sure you can Google it, but the graph basically is seven years of recovery and then seven years of explosive growth. So if we went to, for example, the first seven years after the recessive period between 89 and 93, uh, the next seven years was recovery. The seven years after that, though, was very explosive growth, taking us all the way up to 2007. Property values uh, shot up in value and uh, went through a mid-cycle dip and then shot up in value all the way to the GFC. So if we track that 18-year macroeconomic cycle between 89 and 93, we had recessive years. Between 93 and 2000, we had recovery years, uh, which were growth years. And between 2000 and 2007, 
we had explosive years where the market really accelerated, where it, you know, it boomed basically. And of course, anyone who lived through that period of time may remember that really that period of economics was marked by higher wage growth. Um, we had, you know, a mining boom. And so we were in a different cycle. It was a completely different cycle to the one we're in today. And so it had to end. And by 2007, that cycle had reached its peak. And of course, the new cycle began 18 years later, being 2008, we had the GFC. The GFC, of course, was the global financial crisis, which we named it here in Australia. Not everywhere around the world named it that, but the GFC was basically when Wall Street melted down off the back of fake loans they created in the US housing market. Ninja loans, they were ninjaing everyone. No job, we'll give you money. Geez, that's a bright idea, isn't it? Uh, not. So uh, fortunately, Australia at, in 2008, we obviously, um, you know, also were affected by the GFC, but because of our banking regulations at the time, we were less affected because we weren't giving people ninja loans. You needed a job to own a property here in Australia. You could not be a stripper. You could not uh, not work and live on the street and get a job get a home loan. That's basically what was happening in the USA. Anyway, what happened was the old cycle ended, macroeconomics, the new cycle began, and really we are in the current cycle, which takes us from a fiscal point of view, a business point of view, and a macroeconomic point of view, which all links to real estate, being that the current cycle is from 2008 all the way up to 2026, okay? So it's an interesting look at the real estate marketplace. And if we look at really the period of time between 2008 and 2012, it was a more of a recessive period when it came to real estate as a investment. Uh, we had a market really slow down. We had a market, uh, you know, period where property values dropped. And again, if we understand the idea around the 18-year property cycle is that there is a period of hyper supply, which ultimately causes a property slowdown. And really, between 2008 and 2012, arguably even before 2008, you had hyper supply. 2007, I was doing deals, really, which was the peak of the last cycle, doing deals which people couldn't give away because of hyper supply. Um, one of the properties I own today, I picked up off administrators, liquidators at that period of time because there was just too much stock on the market and there was too much built for developers. It was easy to get a loan and build. And so you had this 
oversupplied metric in the GFC where Australia really had a bit of a property bubble on its hands because too much stock got built. I was going and negotiating, you know, at one, you know, instead of negotiating on one property, I would go and see people and banks and liquidators and accountants and developers and say, you've got 40 built properties, six kilometers from the city of Sydney. These are really good properties. You can't sell them. Give me 30% off. And because they couldn't sell them, because the market was slumping, guess what? You would get 30% off. It was a really a terrific time to buy in that recessive period of time. But it links to the 18-year property cycle. There was hypersupply. And hypersupply created a recessive period inside the real estate marketplace. And of course, if we track the 18-year property cycle, uh, the current one, between 2008-2012, it was really nothing extraordinary happening inside of the Australian real estate marketplace. There was really limited levels of growth. Uh, there was good buying opportunities, but it was recessive. Then if we go to the next section of the 18-year property cycle, which is there is seven years of recovery. Really between 2012 to 2019, we went through a good level of capital growth in a lot of marketplaces. Not all marketplaces, but a lot of marketplaces. And really the market had well and truly recovered by midway through 2012 to 2019, which was the recovery phase of the market. Really what happens during a recovery phase of the market, the market firms up, there's enough buyers for the stock about, and all of that oversupply gets absorbed and soaked up. And really, you know, a classic example of a recovering real estate market during that period of time was the Brisbane marketplace. You know, by uh, you know, 2013 and 14, there was a lot of hyper supply in Brisbane. We would look for a lot of deals in that marketplace and you could really cherry pick uh, just about any built property in the marketplace. There was some really, really good buying there because of the hyper supply. Stock which was sticking around, you could get it at a good price. Uh, the During that period, by the end of 2019, after it, the market went through recovery, there was really no stock nor an oversupply of stock. We then went from the recovery period of where all stock got absorbed. That was a hangover from the recessive period of hypersupply to the next period of time, which between 2019 and present day, an explosive period. We've had capital growth that has been really, as many would quote, once in a generation. See, the 18-year property cycle is really the generation. Prior to 2008, you had the previous cycle, a once-in-a-generation cycle. Prior to 1989, you had a different cycle, a once-in-a-generational cycle. So the 18-year cycle is forecast to end in 2026. Uh, right now, we're in an explosive period of time where 
things are booming. Uh, the job market's booming. Uh, the real estate market arguably is, and this is where we have to analyze the 18-year property cycle and go, well, is it malarkey or is it going to actually unfold the way Fred believes it will unfold? Because arguably right now, and remember in 18-year property cycles, there is a mid-cycle dip. Arguably right now we're in a mid-cycle dip because really, uh, if you think about it, the fundamentals of Australian real estate are only being slowed down by the cost of money. However, the fundamentals behind what is uh, behind the cost of money is a lack of supply and really, you know, a huge appetite for people to own real estate. And so when you put those two together, you get the bullwhip effect eventually where basically as soon as money becomes a little bit cheaper or for example, APRA basically gets out of the way and stops putting a speed limit on what people can borrow by using their buffer, then all of a sudden you're going to get this re-establishment uh, of the explosive period. And really, arguably, we are still in the explosive period. If you look at rents, I mean, they're exploding. Like rents are going up so quickly that it is blowing people away. And in some respects, you know, it's a business decision for a lot of property investors to make at the moment. I know I'm personally going through a recalibration of all my rental properties and some of my good tenants who have been around in those properties for a long period of time can no longer afford to stay. And that's just a commercial reality of the cycle going through its expansive period. So if we analyze this current cycle, we've got the recessive period, really stagnated periods, probably a better word. There was really no like collapse. Like often we think of recession as just the end of the world, but really it's just a stagnated period where things aren't moving between 2008 and 2012. We had the recovery of the market between 2012 and 2019 and rounding out the explosive or expansive period of the cycle. It's really right now between 2019 to 2026. Obviously between now and 2026, I would imagine government and policy makers will look at the high levels of low supply and want to speed up more stock to the marketplace. Really the best way to do that is to relax lending and obviously allow more liquidity into the marketplace to uh, create more affordable housing options for the market. So the expansive period is where we're at. Gross rents are exploding. Like rents are just going up so much. And again, like some properties are, are literally, uh, you know, clients are ringing or their property managers are ringing the tenant and going, look, I'm so sorry, but in three months, your rent is going up $300 a week. That's the world we live in. And that is part of the cycle we're now living in as well. So where do we find ourselves today? It's a big conversation. Are we actually at the end of the 18-year property cycle because uh, right now things have slowed down? Arguably, is it one of the four years of recessive uh, nature that the cycle goes through? 
what is Fred's 18-year model? Could it just be a 14-year model? Well, it very could be. I mean, at the end of the day, we could we don't know. No one has a crystal ball. Uh, if I was to judge where we're at, I think we're still in an expansive period. I think as soon as money comes back uh, for people to use, they will go and use it and property values will continue to rise. Uh, where does the next um, start of the next cycle begin? Well, 2027 is the next macroeconomic business uh, and fiscal cycle. Remember, the 18-year property cycle is what it's called, but it actually, uh, backtracking a bit, relates to business, macroeconomics, and fiscal policy. So again, in 2027, uh, we could start see the start of the new world, the new cycle. And of course, uh, that cycle will go for 18 years. So it will begin in 2027 and finish in 2045, which sounds like a long time away. Think about where Australia will be in 2045. It will have well over 40 million people by then. And of course, Australia is in love with living in uh, really central locations, your Sydneys, your Melbournes, your Brisbane's, Perth's, your Adelaide's. Generally, our big cities are the catchment for more people. So if you think about where prices could get to in the next cycle, it's a big conversation. And of course, again, if we track the idea that money actually gets uh, transferred every 18 years in the property cycle. So if we think about the previous property cycle, really we had the transformation of money uh, really through the deregulation of banks and also, sorry, if we think about the cycle between 1989 to 2007, we had two major transformations of money. We had deregulation of banking so people could borrow more money, more liquidity, and we also had the mining boom. Two real huge pillars as to why the real estate market and the business market and the macroeconomic market morphed and changed. Then we went into the current cycle, 2008 to 2016. Sorry, 2008 to 2026. I'm mumbling my words. Like, I think this is the man flu. 2008 to 2026, we had really the transformation of money off the back of COVID. Things morphed. Uh, money became worthless for a long period of time. There was a lot of stimmies coming into the economy and it changed the value of assets. So uh, the next transformation is due out 2035 to 2040, which is really, if you look at how the 18-year property cycle works, that will be well and truly past recessive recovery into that more explosive expansion period of the next cycle, we will see the great transfer transformation of wealth where today in Australia, the money is held by much older people and really they're going to pass away. They'll reach their maximum life, uh, life limit and $6.1 trillion of money in the next cycle, the next 18-year cycle, 
is going to be transferred by way of uh, inheritance to the younger people underneath that space. Now, if you think about the last transformation of money during COVID, it was about a $1 trillion transformation. The next transformation is a $6.2 trillion transformation. Uh, the next cycle is going to produce this. It's not a matter of if, it will happen. People will pass away with very expensive assets that they own in inside of Australian economics. So it's interesting. Once uh, the people get that money, obviously they will spend that money and we will see a lot of liquidity in the marketplace, a lot of money flying around. Generally, that creates an extrapolation of higher property values. So there are some interesting reports, like you see this stuff where it's like, well, what would a property be worth in Sydney in 2043? And it's like $6 million. What would an apartment be worth in Melbourne in 2043? And it's close to $3 million. How is that possible? The 18-year property cycle. We move from one cornerstone of economics to another and to another. And so if you think about between 1989 and 2007, it feels like a completely different era. And it was a completely different era. The current cycle will feel like a completely different era from 27, 2027 to 2045. So no matter really how you interpret the 18-year property cycle, the key takeaway is the long-term prospects of economics is the point of the 18-year property cycle. In other words, the longer you're in the game, the more you're, more you're going to move through the cycle. And I think a key takeaway of understanding the 18-year property cycle is the idea of compounding wealth. The idea that, you know, the first five years of your ownership, you will make less than the third five years of your ownership. If you think about owning a property for, say, 15 years, and if you thought about it that every year you're going to get, say, 5% capital growth, well, you would have made 21% on your first five years. Your second five years, you'll make a further 26%. But your last five years of owning that real estate, you will create 53% of your wealth. And in real estate, that's fundamentally compounding growth. And of course, compounding growth occurs as a cycle moves through its pattern. So that's the 18-year property cycle. Hope you found it interesting. Who knows what the show is going to be called? Uh, it could be Mastering Cycles. And not even mention 18 years. Who knows? I don't know. I never know. But hey, hopefully the show was good. We never know until we get to the end. It's a quick one today. Usually I talk for a lot longer. Uh, but I've got a man cold. So I thought I'd punch out a punchy episode. Hey, I'll catch you next time as we talk more real estate. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. I would love it 
if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.